I can't tell you how many times I've been in an organization where an executive of the company tells me some marketing related fact that may or may not be true, but it's so ingrained in the company's folklore that everyone just like anchors on it and like they can't question its validity. And I don't doubt that at some point in time, these things were actually true, but you know, audiences change over time. People's behaviors change over time. You know, what worked over a year ago or even a few months ago may not be effective tomorrow. You know, this creates a high risk situation for your company because you're making decisions on potentially out of date information without validating those assumptions. Hello everyone. Get ready to dive into the world of marketing and business strategies with an episode that will blow your mind. Our guest today is the renowned CRO expert, Sara Frui. She's here to share some insightful tips on how you can start with experimentation and move towards personalization. This episode was originally a webinar and we've transformed it into a captivating video podcast. You'll get to see Sara in action as she refers to a presentation giving you a front row seat to an exclusive masterclass. Also, if you don't want to miss out on a single episode of VWO podcast, make sure to hit that follow button and stay up to date with our wonderful content. So, without any further delay, let's dive right in and learn how you can scale your experimentation program. Well, again, welcome everyone. Really appreciate you joining me today. You know, uh, as a young woman going through school, there always seemed to be this great divide in education. Like you're either into math and science or you're into liberal arts, you're left-brained or you're right-brained. It was very polarizing. And as a child with a wild imagination, I chose the liberal arts path. So I resigned myself to believing that I was skilled at art, but not so much in science. Um, and then I got really into photography and quickly saw these two worlds kind of blend together. That eventually led me to a career in marketing. And nowadays we talk about art and science within this world all the time. You know, as a marketer, you have to be good at math and analytics to understand how your content is performing. You need to be creative to think about different ways to express key messages for your organization that will drive sales, donations, signups, you know, whatever your North Star metric is. And these things go hand in hand. And to get the most value out of the decisions you're required to make, I believe that experimentation is essential. So today I'm going to talk to you about how I built an experimentation program at Pantheon and scaled it to enable personalization on our website. So we're going to start off by talking about the pitfalls of decision-making without experimentation, and then go into identifying ways to prove the need for experimentation at your company, how to get buy-in. That's really important, right? You need to sell these things to the bosses. And finally, how to level up your practice to include personalization. In an increasingly digital world, if you don't do large-scale experimentation, you're dead. This is really table stakes, I think, for any company looking to, to thrive in this changing market. Why? Because, you know, decision-making without experimentation can anchor your team on out-of-date or misleading information. You know, quite often this means working off of assumptions. So I can't tell you how many times I've been in an organization where an executive of the company tells me some marketing-related fact that may or may not be true, but it's so ingrained in the company's folklore that everyone just, like, anchors on it and, like, they can't question its validity. And I don't doubt that at some point in time these things were actually true, but, you know, audiences change over time. People's behaviors change over time. You know, what worked over a year ago or even a few months ago may not be effective tomorrow. You know, this creates a high risk situation for your company because you're making decisions on potentially out of date information without validating those assumptions. And this also results in a lack of innovation. When you work with a set, uh, a set it and forget it mindset, 
your team isn't challenging the status quo. They're less likely to produce new ideas, products, and methodologies that can help you grow your business. So when you lack testing and innovation, it's nearly impossible to keep up with the rapidly changing environment that surrounds us today. People are concerned about the economy, war, global warming. These are really significant issues that impact consumer purchase behavior and how they're interacting with your brand. So if you aren't testing on a regular basis, your decisions will lack authority and can potentially hurt your business or at the very least prevent it from reaching its full potential. Which leads me to my next point on how to prove the need for experimentation in your organization. At a high level, properly managed experimentation programs will yield positive ROI, you know, return on investment for your business. You put this much money in, you're going to get this much money out. And ideally, you don't want to be a cost center for the business. You want to be driving profits. So, you know, you want to move from relying on assumptions to making data-driven decisions. And data-driven decisions will lead to faster iterations because you can fail fast. Something's going wrong. You can identify that through your testing and then pivot to try something new when your original hypothesis didn't plan out. And you'll also get early signals when your hypothesis is correct and can reallocate those resources to fuel that iteration, uh, innovation so you can get, you know, to success faster. So as you build up a cadence of testing, you'll need additional resources, which enables cross-functional collaboration. You know, I say this all the time, but great ideas can come from anywhere. That's one of my favorite parts about working in experimentation is like, I'll be sitting at the lunch table or have some kind of virtual coffee chat. And one of my colleagues will be like, oh, I heard you're working on this. Have you ever thought about that? And like, I just love, you know, getting these ideas from, from people all over the company um, where, you know, it really breaks down those silos. So if your company really struggles with silos, I think experimentation is a way to like, you know, culturally just pitch. This is a way we can collaborate together. We can get product and marketing talking together. We can get, you know, sales into the mix and HR and all these different, you know, parts of the business. Um, so yeah, having, you know, the right resources and data will really enable you to track the value of the experiments generate, which can then be translated into ROI for your company. So another way to think about this is through the concept of growth levers for your business. So growth levers are changes whose effectiveness can be measured with statistical significance. For example, you know, how does presenting two CTAs next to each other on your homepage compare to presenting a single CTA? Growth levers are tied to a North Star metric that you care about, such as the overall conversion rate for your website. Now, a small change to a growth lever won't lead to a, a, won't result in a statistically significant impact on your North Star metric, but you do know that that growth lever wins are moving the North Star metric. So it's like looking at the hour hand of a clock. You won't see it move, but if the second hand is moving, you know the hour hand is moving. The key is to doing a lot of iteration on your growth levers where you can measure the impact and move the overarching metric. You know, said another way, lots of small changes lead to big change. In fact, Microsoft Bing's experimentation units conducted dozens of monthly improvements that collectively boosted their revenue per search by 10 to 25% a year. That's really impressive. They accomplish this by embracing failure and learning from it. When you run a high volume of small experiments, they're not all going to be winners. I promise you there's going to be a lot of duds in the mix. But in order to have a successful experimentation program, you need to be comfortable with failing and, you know, being wrong sometimes. That was something when I first got into this that was um, kind of humbling. You know, I think as a marketer, a lot of times historically in the past, we you know, you, you have these great ideas and you're, you're pitching them to everyone around you. And it's so much like on your instinct of like, this is what we're going to do. And then all of a sudden you bring in the data into the mix and you're like, wow, like, even though that design looks better, our audience doesn't click on it. Even though that copy to me is much more appealing, 
it's not resonating with the people that I'm trying to talk to. And uh, as soon as you can kind of remove yourself from the equation and just let the data speak to you, uh, that really can kind of unlock your team um, to uncover all kinds of insights because you take the ego out of it. I think that that's really important when it comes to experimentation. You can't get bummed out if your idea didn't win or have some kind of like tally about like, I got this many experiments right and that many wrong. Like that's not helpful. The helpful part of it is if you fail, make sure that you're learning from it. Um, you know, there's a lot of points in my career where some of the biggest insights I've gotten have been from things that didn't go the way that I expected and and paying attention to why that happened so that like I can course correct and um, and get the big wins. And the other thing, you know, when you're doing a lot of frequent experimentation is, uh, you know, there's you're going to have a small regular experiments, but you need to also mix in some that are, you know, kind of swinging for the fences, something that are really big and more complicated um, because those can have a potentially even greater payoff. They're more risky because they're more complicated and they require more resources. But I tend to do kind of a mix of, you know, three or four small experiments, one bigger experiment um, throughout the course of a month or, or any given like, you know, uh, sprint period. So we've been talking a bit about the why. Now let's get into the how. In this next section, I'm going to share three ways that I've been able to get executive buy-in for not only my experimentation program, but other big ideas as well. I think that's what's kind of interesting about this topic is, yes, we're like focused on experimentation, but hopefully you can take some of my tips here and bring them back to your jobs and uh, win over the powers that be to um, execute other programs that maybe you're, you're noodling over or you think would help the business or your team. So um, one of the first things that I tend to advise people on is ensuring top-down, bottom-up consensus. So what that means is like, not only do you need executive support, but you also need the people who are, you know, boots on the ground that are doing this work to be excited about it too. You can't just say like, Hey, I'm the boss. We're going to run an experimentation program. And this is how we're doing it. Cause the people that are doing the work might not be as excited about it. And so gaining that momentum, getting people into it, giving them special projects, making sure that they're just as passionate about this as you are is going to matter at all levels of the business. Because if you, if you don't have the people who are doing the work excited about it, they're not going to be as successful. If you don't have executive buy-in, when things get expensive, when things go wrong, you're not going to have backup to say, Hey, you know, Sarah, or, you know, whatever your name is, uh, has a really great idea. I support her on this. We need to see this through, especially, you know, when some of the experiments might not go the right way there, you know, that can be scary for some people who aren't used to having experiments of like, well, it didn't go right. You know, we need to cancel this thing right away. Again, like embracing failure is a really big, important part of, of having a strong experimentation program. Um, but from a cultural perspective, you know, top down, bottom up, getting support across the organization is really important. And that starts before you kind of make your pitch. So if people are kind of like investigating this, you have a rally of people that are excited about what you want to do. Um, next, I would suggest building a business case for your resources. And so this might involve a spreadsheet. Typically, it could be a presentation, but you're going to want to look at budget. You know, what tools, software do you need? Things like DWO, for example, um, staff. I've worked with developers, user interface designers, data analysts, copywriters, product marketers, um, you name it. There's a lot of different people that might be pulled into your experimentation group. So identifying them, quantifying, hey, I need this much time out of them for a week. It's not going to be a huge commitment or maybe it is for some people, but, you know, spelling that out for um for the executive team, making sure that you have the right data pipelines, especially as we get to that part about um 
personalization and making sure that you have really strong data is is kind of again table stakes for building an experimentation program and so um, you need to make sure you have really strong Google Analytics or whatever you're using to measure your website, that if you're identifying visitors, you know, that that uh, data is good, it's clean, it's up to date. And um, I think this is something, again, a lot of marketers struggle with is like attribution, but the your experimentation program will only be as strong as the data that you have coming into it. And so that's really important. Um, so again, yeah, putting together a business plan, making it very cohesive, how much money you're going to want to spend, who you need to be a part of this um, and packaging it up in a really professional way so that when you go to the management team, you have all your ducks lined up in a row, you know what you're talking about and you can answer any questions they might have around these issues because budget is always going to be a really important part of this, right? Next, um, you should establish a strong foundation with a single North Star metric. I think that sometimes with programs, it's easy to get distracted. And so what I've found for my team is having one overarching goal is really essential for success. And that helps you, you know, um, prioritize work. So everything is mapping up to that North Star. Um, and, you know, as you're building this foundation, one of the decisions that you'll need to make is are you going to have like decentralized teams or centralized teams? Meaning like, is there a dedicated squad, excuse me, that's always going to be running your experimentation programs or are you going to be pulling individuals from different parts of the organization? Uh, my team at Pantheon was a bit of a hybrid. I had some dedicated resources that were just like a part of the experimentation team. And then every quarter I would kind of pull in different folks from an organization swap people in and out so that I could get, you know, fresh ideas, um, different functions participating. And that was a way for me to keep, keep the program fresh, keep it interesting and not sort of, uh, get stuck in a rut of the same people all the time coming up with the same ideas. Um, I think having fresh folks cycle in was, was one of our keys to success. So, um, in, in that kind of debate between centralized versus decentralized, I actually recommend a hybrid, um, you know, having strong program management guidelines is also really important. So, you know, having a regular meeting every week, having a backlog of experimentation ideas, um, again, identifying what your North Star metric is, what other pieces of information are really important to making decisions in terms of like, is this test a winner? Is it not? Uh, occasionally you might have a loser, but because of certain things that are going on inside your organization, you're going to run with that like loser test idea anyways, because maybe you're trying to get a new round of funding. And even though the language didn't work, you need investors to see a certain perspective on your website or something like that. Uh, or sales is really struggling. And even though people aren't clicking on a certain form, they need the website to say a certain thing to support what they're out in the market with. There are going to be times where you're going to have to make tough decisions internally that even though the data suggests you move in one direction, maybe the business requires that you move in another. Um, and so having some guidelines around that is really important. Um, having a strong prioritization framework. Again, I, I have an agile background. So what I work with is a backlog of ideas. Uh, you know, you have a, like a list of here's all the things that we could do. And then you sort of map them to the North Star metric and you look at things like, you know, how complicated is this test? Uh, what resources do we need? You know, maybe some of them, you need a designer and a writer and a product marketer and a few other folks kind of coming together. And so that's going to take a couple of weeks of production to just get the test built. Where another one is like, hey, this is just a quick copy change or we're just going to like, you know, move some things around on the page. And that's a lot 
lower effort. Um, and so, you know, when I was speaking to earlier about having like a lot of small tests, like what can you do quickly and easily to sort of get to validation fast and then make that in with, you know, a big test that is where there's more effort able to provide deeper insight. Do you sort of have that balance of like a regular cadence of quick, small tests and then some bigger ones that might take a couple weeks um, to come to fruition? And, you know, when it comes to testing, uh, experiments can take a matter of hours, like a matter of days, a matter of months. It really depends on the traffic to your website. So uh, sometimes people ask me about that. And it really just sort of just depends on on the volume of people you have going through the tests themselves. The um, last point here I'd like to make is, you know, you also want to establish ethical texting practices. Uh, there's a lot of people on the internet these days. You need to respect them. And um, there's, you know, Facebook in the past has gotten blown up for for doing some tests where they're manipulating people's emotions and things like that. I would just be really cautious as a team and have some some guidelines in place about when you're running these experiments, making sure that it's it's a healthy experience for your customers that you're you're not doing any kind of things that are going to mess with their emotions and you know you'll have to as an organization determine what ethical decisions are appropriate for your business but i would just always keep in mind like this at the end of the day we are experimenting on people um so keep that focus at the heart of what you're doing and have empathy for for your audience there to make sure that you're not doing anything that would make you uncomfortable or someone you cared about uh so yeah, another quote here. I've got a few of them in here. I think a lot of people know Amazon does a ton of testing and they really credit that to um, the frequency. You know, they're, how many they do per year, per month, per week, per day. So this has to just become kind of part of your everyday culture. Um, experimentation is kind of like a lifestyle. Once you get into it, it just, it becomes a part of your regular workflow and uh, and that's how you move your business forward, really. So next section, you know, maximizing the impact of your experimentation program. I've kind of given you the ways I sort of have built the foundation. And now here's some advice on how to take it to the next level. All right. So um, first point here would be to eliminate the guesswork. Um, you know, data must trump opinions. I said this earlier, you know, when I first started working on experimentations, how humbling it was to realize that the data um, prove me wrong a lot. <laughs> you know, my instincts weren't always correct. And I had relied on them in a lot of ways. And that's not to say that your instincts are going to be misleading. They're going to come up with experimentation program ideas. And again, like sometimes knowing what doesn't work is going to be really important to your business as much as knowing what does. But at the end of the day, you know, again, take your ego out of it. The data, data wins. Um, next, you know, you really want to create, I've, I've used this phrase probably a few times now, but it's something I'm really passionate about is it's creating a culture of experimentation. So again, having these continuous cycles of iteration, like I was just talking about with Amazon, um, you know, to successfully innovate, you really need to make experimentation an integral part of, of your everyday life, especially when budgets are tight, because that's going to help you make really smart decisions. Um, that's, this is not a place to cut when, when things are getting, uh, a little scary when it comes to financial situations. I know there's a lot of people making cuts with employees and budgets are getting tightened and things like that with like this recession looming in the United States and other areas. And so when it does get scary, I think it's it's more important than ever to to experiment to make sure that you're making smart decisions. Um, and again, you know, this idea of a culture of experimentation should really 
extend across your organization? How can other departments build testing into what they're doing, whether it's like finance or HR or sales? Like it shouldn't just sit with marketing or your web team or the product team. Um, you really want everyone to be thinking about this. Like I've, I've managed demand functions in my career. And every time we launch a new ad campaign, I make sure that we're A-B testing the ads. I work at, you know, an influencer marketing company. We, you know, put out all of our influencer posts on organic on their social media channels. We look at them to see which is the performing the best. Then we identify the top creative and we start to put that onto paid and we'll, we'll test the visuals. We might do multivariate testing. We'll, you know, look at the copy, different things like that. And so um, this, ex this idea of experimentation really should extend across your organization in all different ways. You know, whether it's HR, if you're doing employee studies and things like that, like asking people, surveying them, running experiments on like what's the best way to onboard somebody. So um, if you want to build more support for your experimentation and make it successful, you need to make sure that all of your colleagues are really excited and like, how can I test something to make my team perform better and help the business move forward? And so having little lunch and learns and things like that to, sh to share your best practice as an experimenter is going to help, you know, make your program more successful because people are going to believe in the value of experimentation. So I think that's really, really important. Um, you know, another thing about, you know, creating a culture of experimentation is that it creates opportunities for learning. So there's, again, like if you guys, if y'all do lunch and learns at your company or there's all hands meetings or things like that, like raise your hand. Hey, I want to present this week. I've got this great experiment that we went through. We learned a ton of stuff. I want to share it with the company. And that might inspire other people to um, make changes in their behavior or how they talk or, you know, you know, it, it's really um, kind of, wonderful to see how when I've shared experiments, um, how they inspire people and my colleagues that I, I really didn't expect. Uh, another thing that experimentation too can do is create healthy debate among team members. You know, there's some organizations where it's this very top-down mentality, kind of like the boss comes in and this is what everybody has to do. And uh, I think from an employee perspective, that doesn't always feel great, right? You know, you want to empower people to have a voice and feel like they're contributing. And I think an experimentation program is just a wonderful way to give people an opportunity to raise their voice. Hey, I've got this great idea. I'd love to share it with you. Can we talk about it? And then, you know, when that experiment maybe wins, at that all hands, call that person out, congratulate them. We got this idea from somebody on the finance team, wasn't expecting it, but this test blew us away. And, you know, we'd love to have more contributors next time. Um, and also, you know, I've had a lot of experiments that can be kind of controversial and the team like, hey, we should do this. We should do this. And having that sort of uh, those those debates, I think, are really important because it helps you consider different aspects, different perspectives and stuff like that. And always having more diversity in your decision making is going to make your decision stronger. And so I think encouraging debate is really important, not just coming in every week and being like, hey, we queued this up. This is the most important, like checking with the team, making sure the priorities are still in line you know, evaluating your, your backlog to make sure, you know, is there something new we need to include? Maybe there's a, a new product that got released and we need to like test something about that that we weren't expecting. Um, so yeah, uh, healthy debate is really important. And then I, I, I am repeating myself a little bit here in this presentation, but I, I just think it's so important again, I'm gonna hit this note one more time, embrace failure and learn from it. I, I'll, I'll, I'll stop there because I've said it a few times, but I just, I think it's really important. 
next, yeah, you want to socialize and celebrate your wins and learning. So if you want to grow your experimentation program, it needs visibility, right? Do you have a company newsletter that you can put some stats in? Uh, again, all hand, lunch and learns, different things like that. You want to, if you're doing OKRs, like objectives and key results, I don't know what goal setting your different organizations use. The the company I'm at right now and the previous one I was at, we used OKRs. Um, so we have company level goals that we're trying to hit, make sure that your experimentation program maps back to those company goals. So that when you go to your boss, when you go to the management team, you're saying, hey, we ran all these experiments and moved this goal to help get us into the green this quarter, which helped us hit these goals and things like that. And so don't work in a silo of like, this is only serving my needs. Make sure that it serves the company and that you can socialize that in a meaningful way to express the impact that you're making. Um, and that will also help you, you know, nurture an environment where all employees can contribute. The more you tie this back to the company's success, the more, you know, support you're going to have. And that's going to help you get more funding, more staff, more resources, which are all really important to scaling your program. So the stat's a little bit old, but I just think it's, you know, an interesting data point. Uh, you know, insights-driven businesses are growing by more than 30% annually and are already tracked to earn $1.8 trillion by 2021. So use data points like this, again, in your business case and stuff like that to prove to, to the management team that having data-driven decisions, leveraging experimentation is only going to help your company make more money. Not doing it, to me, is risky that's where you're going to like lose out on potential opportunities to grow the business and accelerate your efforts and innovate on your products and all these wonderful things that experimentation can produce for you. So leveling up to personalization. I know this is, um, you know, hot topic for a lot of folks that joined today. So uh, one of the ways that we kind of leveled up to personalization at Pantheon was really fostering a collaborative brainstorming sessions. So again, gathering diverse set of stakeholders you know, this includes not only people from different backgrounds, um, different ethnicities, but also different roles in the company, different age groups. I think that anytime you're looking to have uh, make meaningful decisions, you really need to have diversity within the people that are making them. Otherwise, you're, you're going to have a lot of people who are too much the same that are going to just kind of like agree with each other. And, and um it's really important to collaborate with lots of different types of people when you're creating this kind of culture. So the next point here would be, you know, when you're thinking about personalization is to, to stay focused on the needs of your customers. So um, personalization can sometimes be creepy, right? And you really need to establish where that line is. Um, I'm going to talk through an experiment in a little bit that we ran on our homepage. And that was a big concern internally was like, are we going to create people out by using personalization in this, in this particular instance. And so, um, you know, being human, putting your customers at the center of what you do is really important. You want both qualitative and quantitative data in your research, in your research um, when you're thinking about personalization. And so, you know, not just looking at, at the numbers sometimes, but also interviewing people, um, you know, would this turn you off if you saw, you know, your name and job title and things like that, or, you know, whatever information you're looking to surface from a personalization perspective. Um, you want people, like, I think more and more people are sort of expecting personalization. So um, over time, depending on the, the nature of your business, this will be like less of a concern, but also just like really trying to understand like where's the line with your audience is important. Um, again, really ensuring good data. So, you know, when personalization goes wrong, it can hurt your business. Um, 
So making sure that if you are going to start to use people's names or titles or bits of information about them and expose that on the website or, you know, wherever you're using personalization, um, your product, that making sure that the data is good. And um, because, you know, if you call me by the wrong name or, you know, I've gotten emails before where it's like name in brackets and it's like really salesperson, you want me to, to book a meeting with you and you can't even like schedule your um your emails to to populate my first name properly or you have an out-of-date title or something like that. Like that's something that's kind of going to turn people away. And so making sure your data is really strong is important. Um, and then another way to help with personalization is, again, this culture of experimentation, you know, potentially incentivizing employees to submit ideas. That's a great way to kind of grow your program and, um, you know, tap into different perspectives. So, um here is an example of the homepage when I was managing the website at um, Pantheon. So one of the things that we did with some qualitative research, like I said, there's going to be quantitative and qualitative. And we did some user interviews. And when they saw the logos right below that first, you know, I call them like slices on the homepage. So right, right before that first piece, there's like this black piece that you see on the left. They thought that they'd hit the footer. And um so one of our experiments was to sort of redesign that experience and um, we came up with this sliding bar. Actually, I think my slides are a little out of order here. I'm going to talk to this one first. Um, so our homepage was one of the areas where we did a lot of experimentation. So before we got to that point, this was another like previous iteration of our, our homepage. And so initially, you know, our North Star metric was really getting people to watch the demo, which I was talking about earlier. Um, but we wanted to test a hypothesis that if we added a second CTA to our homepage, you know, would it actually, you know, hurt our conversions or increase the conversions for the page? And so the idea was if we gave people an option, then it would force them to make a decision. And in doing this, we saw a 53.5% improvement on our demo CTA and a 10.8% improvement on our free trial CTA. So that get started button in the upper right is our free trial. So even though that that button already existed, adding it with a separate, like a different title increased the conversion rate on there by 10%. And then the demo alone went, you know, up by 53% um, just by adding an option. And so um, I think experimentation just can really like bring some really surprising revelations. And so this was like a really big win for our company early on in my experimentation program. So it's it's something that I, I like to show a lot. And again, you know, when I was running demand gen at one point, you know, we were trying to change our our homepage um, tagline, which felt really risky to me. And so I leveraged experimentation through our demand gen program. We run a bunch of banner ads. And this is kind of what I was speaking to earlier, where the banner ads with the new messaging, it didn't show like an increase in conversions. It didn't show a decrease. They were pretty flat from the results that we were seeing with our previous campaigns. And so that gave me the confidence before I took the change to the homepage let me run this little experiment with some some paid media to get some quick insights, you know, with a larger pool of people before I bring it to a riskier part of, you know, our brand, which was the homepage. And so that's some of the ways that you kind of like test small before you even bring it to the website is looking at some of your paid campaigns to get um, some of those early signals of like, are we heading in the right direction or not? So that's a note that I wanted to hit here. So sorry, that last slide was in here. I was working on my deck last night and I should have deleted it. This was the story I wanted to tell you about the, the second place. So um, again, we had some folks that we interviewed, they thought that they had hit the footer when they saw these logos. And so we're like, okay, what if we put a slider in? And I know that there's like a lot of research that says don't use sliders, but we thought, hey, it's going to work for us. It's going to work for us. And so we put a slider in and it didn't work for us. Uh, even though there was this motion and we thought that that would pull people down the page, it, it was not an effective way to 
um, to get people to engage and, and, and scroll farther down. Um, and so we, uh, you know, have, have tried some other things. There is like a menu that we, we, we rolled out and things like that. But that was one of those where our, our team was like, this is going to work. It's going to work. And it, it did. So, uh, but you have to test it to know. Um, and here is uh, an example of personalization. So um, we had the ability with our team to say people's first names or titles when they hit our homepage. And this was where the team kind of sat down and were like, where's the creepy line? Where's the creepy line? And we all kind of agreed at some point after some debate that using people's first names was going to be too creepy. But, you know, this was like pre-pandemic. A lot of people were working in offices. So it was really easy for us to say like, oh, you work at like Lyft, for example, we hit the site. And so we felt people would be comfortable with identifying their business versus their name, even though we had the ability to identify their name. It could have been like, hey, Sarah, you're a supervisor, you're a web team with web ops. Um, there was a lot of pushback internally when I first wanted to start doing personalization on the, on the, on the website because people were just like, oh, we're going to you know, turn people off. They're not going to want to do this. And I was like, no, no, no. I really think that people want this. They expect this. It's going to make us look more high tech. And sure enough, um, when we ran this experiment, we saw a 3.3% improvement on our demo CTA and a 1.5% improvement on our free trial CTA. And so this is where we're kind of talking about those growth levers. Like all of these like little wins start to add up. So you personalize here, you add a little bit there, a little bit there. And then all of a sudden this North Star metric is like moving the needle. Um, so I think it can be tricky, um, but this is where, again, having really diverse team members, multiple points of view is going to be really important to making sure that as you roll out personalization, that's going to be effective for your organization. But like to that person earlier with that, how do I prove my boss wrong? This was something that initially, like I did this a couple of years ago, I got a lot of pushback on our company, didn't feel comfortable with personalization at that point. And I use the experimentation program to win people over being like the data shows, this isn't turning people away. In fact, it's actually helping our business. And so then I was able to roll out other personalization opportunities throughout the site. So you got to start small and then kind of go from there. So, um, you know, to recap, you really want to um, embrace a culture of experimentation across your entire company. You want to tie those results back to your company goals as much as you can financially. You know, attribution is really, really important to say we spent this much money on this experiment. We got this many leads that led to this many, um, you know, customer acquisitions and this much revenue. And so, like, I've had experiments that, you know, paid for my whole program for a year because they were so big. And, and that's one of the things that has given me more staff and more support over the years is really tying it back to the company goals, the revenue to prove. I'm not a cost center. I'm making the company business. I'm make or, or more efficient. Um, I'm helping us make money. I'm helping us achieve our goals. And that's really important. And then also, you know, I think at the center of all of this is your customer. So making sure that as you're running the experiment, you're thinking of the person who's on the other end. How can I make this experience better for them? Yes, all these company goals and revenue things are important, but your customer should really be at the heart of everything that you're doing. Um, improving the user experience, improving their their connection with your brand um, so that they, you know, become endeared to you and want to do business with you moving forward. Thank you, Sarah, for these wonderful insights about experimentation and personalization. And thank you, folks, for sticking with us throughout this episode. Now it's your turn to take action. Implement these game-changing strategies and let us know what impact it had on your business. Also, Share this episode with anyone who could benefit from these insights and don't forget to check out the other fascinating conversations that we've had with industry experts. Before you go, make sure to hit that follow button so that you don't miss out on a single episode of VWO Podcast. 
that's a wrap from our side until next time goodbye take care and always be testing see you in the next episode